Well, today's message is called, Do You Want to Be Well? Wellness is a very hard topic or a very trending topic right now. Coming out of the pandemic, coming out of the last three years, um, there's no doubt the impact, uh, the consequences, the effects of the last few years um, has really taken its toll on people's emotional well-being. I think most of us would be aware of that. Mental health, mental well-being, emotional well-being, all of these things are realities. They've always been important. It's just that some things come to the surface at certain times. And right now, I think we are all very aware that we need to look after ourselves if we're going to move into the future. The answer is not to stay where we are. The answer is not to go back to where we've been. The answer is to move into the future. But the ones who will move into the future, the ones that will turn a season of disruption into a season of opportunity, I believe will be the people who understand well-being more than anyone else. So today's message is called, Do You Want To Be Well? Do you want to be well? I'm going to read from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. It's a great story of Jesus doing what Jesus loves to do, bringing wellness and restoring people back to wholeness in Jesus' Name. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish religious holidays. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool with five covered platforms or porches surrounding it. Crowds of sick people, lame, blind, or with paralyzed limbs, lay on the platforms, waiting for a certain movement of the water. For the angel of the Lord came from time to time and disturbed the water. And the first person to step into it afterwards was healed. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Long time. When Jesus saw him and knew how long he'd been ill, he asked him, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? So interesting when we read and we look at these things. We have to have an understanding of, again, the nature and character of God. You cannot receive from God if you don't know who God is. Faith is never blind. We look at this story and we're like, this guy's been sick for 38 years and Jesus, how insensitive of you to say, do you want to be well? There's no indication uh, that, that this guy wants to be well, apart from he's located himself in some place for 38 years. We don't know if he's been there for 38 years. We know that he's been unwell for 38 years, but he is looking for something in the place that he thinks is gonna give him an answer. And you and I can be living here in the 21st century and we equally could be in a position of need, something going on in our lives, and we are looking in places, hoping that it's gonna help us, fulfill us, heal us, restore us. And this is something that we need to consider that Jesus is not limited to geography. He's not limited to anything else that we sometimes find ourselves limited to because the response to the question is interesting. The question is, would you like to be well? Now, most of us would say that's very insensitive, Jesus. The man's not well. How dare you say that? In today's culture, Jesus is gone. 
eh, cancelled. But maybe God's asking a question with the depth and understanding that most of us don't even consider. Maybe the question's not so shallow. Maybe the question is not insensitive. Maybe the question is the doorway to something miraculous. It all depends on the lens in which we look at this. Now, obviously, from a biblical perspective, there is some commentators or there is some biblical, if you read this in your own Bible, you might find that this uh, Scripture was added later. So again, the emphasis here is still the same. Jesus bringing health and healing to people. But we don't always know the details on why this was added in later on. But it is, and it is something we need to consider. But what we need to understand either, either way is what is God wanting to do all the time when it comes to people? It's consistent. And so what we find here, there's nothing, it's John's Gospel, so we need to be considering of the audience. We need to also read the text, continue to read the text because you'll see something else going on. And that's something that we need to learn if we're gonna grow and receive from God by reading the Word of God. But he says this in response to the question, the man says, I can't. I can't. The question is, do you wanna be well? And the response is, I can't. So right, straight away, there is, this man is crippled with limitations. He's wanting to be well, but now he believes that he can't. And so what is it that is limiting him? I don't know, but someone is messed with him. Something's messing with him. But what about us today? What is it when God asks us a question, do you want to be well? I wonder what comes out of our mouths. Well, I would like to be well, but... And we start adding buts to this and we start, maybe we go to, I can't. It's impossible. And we forget that this is Jesus. And so what does He do? He says this, I can't, the sick man says, for I have no one to help me into the pool at the moment of the water being stirred. While I am trying to get there, someone else gets in ahead of me. And so again, most of us would understand, I, I'm, I'm at work and, and, and I'm ready for promotion, but someone else gets it. I prayed, they didn't pray, but why did they get the job? And we can go in this own pity party for our own self. But what goes on is, it says, Jesus told him, stand up, roll up your sleeping mat and go home. In other words, this guy had made his situation his own home. I think sometimes we face situations and we decide to move in. The last three years have been tough, but are we gonna move in? Are we gonna dig down? Are we gonna bury ourselves and not actually move forward? This is a story of a man's life going nowhere and he's wanting everyone else to solve his problem and Jesus turns up and says, pick up your mat and go. In other words, what is God saying to you today? Maybe He's saying, pick up your mat and get moving. Stop the pity party, stop the wellowing, stop the, oh, this person, that person, I want them, this, that, the other. And God's saying, you go. You move, you speak, you pray, you get going. He wouldn't have asked him to do something unless he knew that he was able to give him the resources to do it. The miracle happened as God said, go for it. In other words, 
What's going to get you moving? What God says. What's going to keep you moving? What, who God is. This is the challenge for all of us. It's an ancient story, but we have a 21st century context. God is still God. And the question today is, do you want to be well? That doesn't mean God doesn't know what's happened to the past. God actually knows what happened to the past, but He's still able to bring things into a moment and say, now you're ready. Isn't it amazing how God is just so gracious to us? We start our Christian journey with Him. And we're like, yay. And then we get into a few years and we become self-righteous, judgmental, looking down our nose at everyone. And then we get ourselves sorted a little bit or something sorts us out and we get self-righteous down and get humility back. But we get into the journey and it's amazing how God starts putting His fingers on things. And I'll tell you now, if anything starts to surface, it's not to hurt you, it's to help you. You've got to understand, God is the only one who knows how to bring things to the surface and say, now you're ready. And you've got to know how to do that. You've got to know what that is. So this guy is obviously, he is not in a good situation. And the question seems insensitive, but maybe God knows more than we know. So he goes on and he says, pick up your mat and walk. Verse nine, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up the mat and began walking. But it was on the Sabbath when the miracles, when the miracle was done. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't walk, work on the Sabbath. It's illegal to carry that sleeping mat. You don't understand that this is an ancient text, but if you go to Israel today, if you're in Jerusalem or uh, part of that, 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 and you're in a hotel um, on, on the Sabbath, legal uh, religious observations, um, uh, there are still like, you can't even get into an elevator and press the button to go to the floor and things like that. There's lots of things that you will be shocked at that still exist today, that was still around 2000 years ago. And so here we have something going on where the man wants to get well, but the religious system, instead of helping, is hurting. So what happens here? The man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. It's illegal to carry your mat. The man who healed me told me to go, was his reply. Who said such a thing? They demanded. The man didn't know and Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, <laughs> now you're well, now you're well, now you're well. Where did Jesus find him? In the temple. So whatever happened to him, he was now moving and he was now functioning at a level that he'd never had experience of before. And what I'm trying to say to you is, if you wanna be well, it's not just a straight up question. It could be actually a penetrating question that deals with the very pain and trauma of the past, but God knows how to take us into our future. And what is happening here is now He's well, and He's in the temple, and He's living His life in a way that He was not able to before. How many of us in the room today wanna to live the life that God is calling us to, but we are limited by things that are internal or external? external. And I want you to know God is here to bring freedom to every single one of us because He's a God who declares freedom in Jesus' Name. Now you are well, so don't sin 
as you did before or something else worse may happen to you. We don't know what that is, but we just know that it was a clear instruction. Then the man went to find the Jewish leaders and he told them it was Jesus who had healed him. So they began harassing Jesus as the Sabbath breaker. But Jesus replied to them, my father constantly does good and I am following his example. Can anyone say amen? Amen. They were more interested in the Sabbath and the rules than they were in this well-being of this person. And I want you to understand, God is serious about your well-being. And I really believe all of us should be serious about our own personal well-being. And so today's message is talking about this whole question, do you want to be well? It seems like an obvious question, but I think it's more loaded than what we realize. When you were born, can you remember that day? No, of course you can't. But when you were born, there was four things that happened. The first thing when you were born, you were seen. Eye contact. All eyes were on you. All eyes were on you. Now, I've never seen a baby yet go, oh, stop it, please, no. I don't like the attention. Never seen a baby do that. They just like open to the sun, let it all happen, and they just soak it all up. All eyes on the baby bambino, bella bambino. So the first thing that happens when you're born, you're seen. Eye contact. It's actually really important to be seen. It's really important. I mean, think of the alternative. To be not seen. It has a negative consequence to all of us. And sometimes we think, how can the baby know? Trust me, it starts with conception. The second thing that happens is when you were born, you were smiled upon. It's called affection. A big smile when you were born, Richard. Big, big, big smile. I believe there was a big smile when you were all born. Priscilla, huge smile when you were born. Amen? But what I'm trying to say to you is, it's also something that you're experiencing as a baby. You can't articulate it, but what is coming across to you is affection. And you're responding to the warmth of the affection. The third thing that you're happening when you're born is you are held. There comes a point where the baby is out, uh, there's some attention from the midwives and the doctors or whatever needs to be done. And at some point you get to cut the, the umbilical cord. Not always, sometimes you can be held, held the baby. But what I'm trying to say, there's a physical touch. It's not the abusive touch. It's not a neglected touch. It's not a hostile touch. It's not a touch of anger or anything manipulative. It's a touch of affection. You are held. I'm telling you, if you withhold physical touch to children, you will damage children. And so there's a sense of hold. And whatever we don't get from an earthly perspective, we will always get from a heavenly perspective. God knows how to hold us. Amen. Because it's spirit to spirit. The fourth thing that you got is you got food. Hallelujah. You were fed. Everyone knows that's a big part of our lives. Amen. You are happy because you've been fed. Nourishment. So here's something. Eye contact, affection, physical touch, nourishment. These are all the foundations of hospitality. It's the foundations of hospitality. If you go to a restaurant today, one of the ways that you know that the the restaurant has got a spirit of hospitality or it's got a revelation of hospitality. The best restaurants have this. When you walk in, you're seen. When you approach, 
you're smiled upon. Now, I'm not talking about Berlin restaurants. I'm talking about a restaurant that has a revelation of hospitality. Amen. When you're seen, there's a smile towards you, not a frown. There's a gentle reminder. Hey, welcome here. Come, I've got a table just for you. Thanks. You were here last week, I remember. And then food's put on the table. You go back there again because you like the food that they, because there's love in the food. Amen. Amen. It's real food, not processed food. So what I'm trying to say here is, if this is good for humanity, if it's good for restaurants, if the foundation of hospitality is actually who God is and what God does, how much more could we find our well-being understanding a spirit of hospitality? I believe it's the foundation of our church, hospitality and generosity. The Welcome Home team are being taught and reminded time and time again, it's not hard to smile when people arrive. We have a great smiling team. Amen. A great welcoming team. But what I'm trying to say to you is you were loved, you were embraced, and you were cared for. Our well-being is connected to how we are conceived, how we are received, and how we are cared for. And it helps us to develop healthy attachments. If this is not good, then we will develop attachments, but these attachments can be actually incredibly negative and can actually ruin our lives, especially as we become adults and we start to draw from that instead of getting free from that. And I want you to know the work of the Spirit can deal with all of these things. It doesn't really matter how you start. It happens, when it matters when you meet with Jesus and He takes you to the future, amen? Do you want to be well? And that's what Jesus is into. That's what He wants to do. He wants to bring wellness into us. When you were born, you're a reflection of your parents. But when you die, you're a reflection of your choices and decisions. So three questions that we could ask within our own community. Though we're from different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages, um, we've got to understand who we are. And we've got to not let the differences work against us. We've got to be willing to honour the differences, respect one another's differences. At the same time, how do we harmonise and walk to the future? And I believe when we allow Him to work in our lives and bring wellness into our lives, we've got a stronger chance of doing that. We are not a natural group of friends. We are a natural group of enemies if you understand cultural differences. Amen? And so we can't just use our cultural upbringings and identification markers to now work against this. This man was asked a question, do you want to be well? He wasn't asked a cultural question. And I think we've got to remember when we become followers of Jesus, we become followers of His plan, not our own cultural narrative. And so we've got to learn to introduce the kingdom of God into our own lives. And we've got to know what is healthy and unhealthy because I'll tell you what, our well-being is connected to whether we respond to Him or whether we hold on to what we're getting our identity from. Whatever the language is, languages can be strong, which means the cultures can be strong. And so you have to understand the stronger the culture, maybe the more challenging it is. But what I want you to see here is well-being is always connected to Him. And that's where we've got to go if we want to be well. So the three questions we need to ask, no matter where we're from, how are you? Anyone can ask that question, how are you? Begits dear.
Kamusta? The second question we can ask is, where are you? Where are you? Where are you right now? Are you good? Where are you, Bobs? <laughs> and the third question is, who are you? They might seem shallow questions, but they're really not shallow. They're an entry point into the depths of our hearts. But I really believe that we should be able to foster an ability to say, how are you? You know, if, if, we, if we want to say fine and we know we're not fine, that's fine. I guess that's what people do. But we've got to be able to understand when we create these questions, we're actually trying to create an atmosphere of well-being. How are you? Where are you? Who are you? Sometimes we forget who we are. Sometimes we behave irrationally or stupidly or in a way that actually is not consistent with who we are. And so we should have someone in our lives that can say, hey, who are you? I think you forgot who you are. It's not who you are. You're a child of God. So these are the questions we can create in our own community. There's three pillars of care we're trying to build in our church, especially with rebuilding back post-pandemic. But I'm just saying them to you, not because we've mastered them, but because we care about these three pillars of care. The first one is relational care. The second one is educational care. And the third one is professional care. Relational care should be the biggest component of our care. Relational care is... Again, cultural, uh, you can have cultural barriers to this, but relational care is developing healthy relationships. Relational friendships. Am I able to make friends? And so I really believe it's important that we build a friendship culture. So what I need you to understand, when God starts to work relationally, He's able to help us to not just receive well-being for our own lives, but to contribute to the well-being of others. The second one is educational. It's more renewing the mind, learning new ways, new habits, new thinking. Everything I've learned from my life, marriage, family, kids, relationships, friendships, I've learned from the house of God. I've learned from the Word of God because I didn't get raised in this stuff. But that's something we've got to keep working on and we need leaders and teachers, people who know how to communicate and help people to learn new things. And the third one is professional, which is specialized care. There's no doubt there is a need for psychologists, uh, therapists, clinical psychologists. But when the pandemic happened, the whole health system was under collapse or the fear of collapse. And so there was strong measures put in place so this wouldn't be overwhelmed. There's only so many beds, there's only so many, there's so many, so many doctors. Let's bring the trainees in, let's bring the retirees back. Let's find a strategy. Well, that was good, whatever your viewpoints are, but there was basically a strategy of let's not overwhelm our health system that exists. Some countries had greater health care than others. But the problem is, is we didn't think about this very specialized health care to do with psychology and therapists. Now these people are in demand and they're overworked because we went from now we're free of the pandemic, supposedly, I guess. We're free of all of the consequences, but now we've got all this residue going on. And now a few, a smaller group, are under extreme pressure. And you can't even get in. And this is what I'm trying to say to you is, if your well-being is important to you, then you've got to remember there's different ways God can work in your life. But don't underestimate a friendship culture. As a church, I would never replace professional care with just friendship, but I would never just replace friendship with professional care. Well, my life is great. Oh, my life is a mess. I'll go straight to a psychologist. 
Let me tell you who does that. Western culture, highly educated and financially independent mentalities do that. In poor countries, you can't afford philosophy. I need food on the table today. The only people who can afford philosophy are affluent people. And so we have to understand if we want to be well, we've got to know where our wellness comes from. Amen. So all I'm saying is all of these things need to be considered a friendship culture, but it depends on your culture. Some people only want four friends because that's my... I didn't say that. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say to you is it's not about your culture. It's about what God can do, what God wants to do. So put a value on friendship because you have a value for you and put a value on the things that are available. So anyway, that's a bit too much, but three pillars of care that we want to cultivate as a healthy community moving forward. So let me give you some thoughts. Does God give us a picture of wellness for our lives? Yes, there's lots of them, but one of them is Jeremiah 17, verse seven to eight. Have a look at the screen. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord who have made Him their hope and confidence. They are like trees replanted in Eden along a riverbank with roots reached out deep into the water. Such trees are not anxious by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their lives stay green. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Now, again, it might not be a reality for you. Maybe your leaves are yellow and they're not green. Oh, I really want green leaves. Well, what I'm trying to say is God's picture is, it's a picture of intention. He believes that with connection to Him, you're able to actually draw from what He actually intends for you. In other words, well-being is possible because God is the God and the author of wellness. We all understand the basics, oxygen, water, food, shelter, sleep, but there are other things that we need to survive. And so I wanna give you just a few of them. I will not be able to finish this message, but the notes that I have available and all the biblical references that will help you are definitely gonna be made available so that you can get into that and look at the Word of God and put your spirit, feed your spirit with God's Word about wellness and what it means for you and what it means for those around you. But let me share this with you. The Gallup Group published five essential elements of well-being. The Gallup Group is like a research institution, um, consulting institution that basically gathers information and works with companies and governments around the world. But this is what they said. For over 50 years, scientists, economists, and psychologists have been exploring the common elements of well-being that transcend cultures and countries. This research revealed the universal elements of well-being that differentiate a thriving life from one spent suffering. They listed five broad categories that are essential to most people. Well, I've added two more, so we're gonna make it seven because I like seven. I wanna read them to you briefly. I'm not gonna get into too much detail, but the last two I will touch on a bit more. Is that okay? You wanna be well. So this is what the research came back 50 years collective wisdom. The first one is they said career well-being is important. Is my work meaningful, rewarding and fulfilling? How do you occupy your time? Do you like what you do every day? Second pillar of well-being that they suggest is social well-being. Do I have healthy relationships and friendships in my life? Do I have healthy social skills? 
Do I have any social skills? Social well-being has got a lot to do with your ability to relate and connect socially. And this is where it gets really interesting because things like I taught my kids, my kids, my son is 23, my daughter is 21, 22 now, both in London and living their lives, moving forward. And one of the things I remember as a parent saying to them, manners cost you nothing. Manners, manners are thank you, please. Yes, thank you, no thank you. And I remember telling my kids, I said, listen, they're free, but they'll, co- they'll, they'll make a way for you in life. And so these are things that you could say, well, that's, that's, a, that's a morality that's, and that's is, you know, ethics and morality and all this. And we can get very subjective about all of this. But at the end of the day, it does help when you say thank you. It does open doors when you can acknowledge gratefulness and thankfulness. And maybe your culture doesn't have it, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have it. And maybe you didn't grow up getting taught on to do these things. But I'll tell you now, you're in the house of God. And one of the things God will help us all to understand is these things can make a way. It can lead to well-being. And so when it comes to social well-being, maybe it's not your good looks that are the issue. It's your inability to learn new social skills. You know where I learned all my social skills? The house of God. Number three, financial well-being. This is another pillar, financial well-being. Can you manage your finances? The number one prayer request we have in our church is finances. Pray for finances, praying for the. And I'll tell you straight up, that means people aren't applying what we're giving you when it comes to financial wisdom from God's Word. There's books available. There's information available. More importantly, God's Word is rich in wisdom when it comes to planning finances. Maybe you don't wanna be like Moritz becoming a millionaire. I'm like, why did you say millionaire? You should have gone straight to billionaire. Why play here when you can play here? It's not about a millionaire, billionaire, any year. It's about can I manage well that which I've been given? It's got nothing to do with your aspirational desires to be very wealthy. That's private, that's public. And so how does God do it? He teaches our hearts how to honour Him. And when you honour Him, you'll know what it is that you've got, amen? So little, you can still be crazy. Much, you can still be lost. What I am trying to say to you, it's one of the well-beings of society. Do I know how to manage my finances? When I taught my son, he was six years old. We got the little money pot that we put coins in, put them on the table, and we started to put the money as separate. And I said, this is what you give to God, and this is what we do here, and this is how you buy a house, and this is what you do to invest. And then after that, we started playing Monopoly, and I made him the banker. You've got to teach your children. And if you haven't got it been taught, you can learn it in the house of God. You've got to understand, if you can't handle money, you won't handle much else. You've got to be a good steward, whatever it is that you do have. That's one of them. Number four is the physical well-being. Am I healthy? Do I eat well? Do I exercise? Do I have good energy levels? Number five, community well-being. Am I connected? Do I engage? Am I involved? Do I participate? And do I contribute? This is community well-being. Number six, emotional well-being. This is the one that I've added. Do I have the emotional capacity? Do I handle, how do I handle my emotions? Are my thoughts healthy? How does my thoughts affect my behaviour? How do I cope with life's challenges? 
can I bounce back when I face problems? I'll tell you the biggest one I think most of us would be aware of right now is our emotional capacity has been hit. And we need to acknowledge it and we need to take responsibility for it and we need to have a plan of action on how we're going to rebuild our emotional capacity back. Why? Because we have a future. You have a future. We're going somewhere. And we've got to be able to have something in us that means we can go into our future. So let's be honest. Where is your emotional capacity right now? Is it a fine line? Have you got margin? Have you got no margin? But let me tell you, there is a window of tolerance. And if it shrinks, then you've got to be aware of it. Because if you go into a Zoom meeting at work and your window of tolerance is down, I'm telling you, it's going to tip you over. If we as a community don't understand this, we can lose each other. We can miss each other. We can come across maybe as insensitive, but what it's going on is, is we don't fully realize the emotional capacity that is needed in this season and more importantly for the future. So first of all, it's okay to admit that my tank is low. It's okay to be not okay. It's okay to realize that I need to be refilled. But what we've got to do is understand this is part of the landscape right now and we need to be wise about it. We need to be sensitive about it. But more importantly, what's the Word of God going to do to build our emotional capacity back in Jesus' Name? Can anybody say Amen? And the last one, I won't, because of time, give it to you, just highlight it. And that is the seventh one is spiritual well-being. Do I know who I am? Do I believe that I'm loved? Do I know that I'm forgiven? Do I believe that I'm accepted? And do I have a hope for my life? Amen. So what I've done is I've put seven, I know there's a lot of numbers here, forgive me, but seven things that's related to your spiritual well-being. And this is the one I want to make available for everyone. All of it's available, but this one particularly, we're going to work through our church and community through this. Seven clear scriptures that talk about your spiritual well-being. And let me tell you why this is important. Because if the foundation of well-being is established, all the other things will take shape. A lot of people have these other things in place. The Gallup group wasn't talking about churches. The Gallup group was talking about just people around modern society. But let me tell you, if the spiritual wellness is not in place first, it doesn't matter what else you've got. Because you can have a lot of other connections and a lot of other places where you think, oh, I've got the money. I know how to use my money. I've got the social connections. I've got the right contacts. But if you're spiritually disconnected from your father, it doesn't matter what you've got, you've got nothing. So what I need you to understand, spiritual wellness is the foundation that feeds into all of the pillars of wellness that you and I can identify. So getting right with God is actually the beginning of getting right in all your other areas. You wanna be good with God, He will lead you to being good with each other. You get right with Him, he will give you the courage and the wisdom and the strength to get right with anyone else. And that's why He said, you will even be able to love your enemy. You'll even be able to pray for your enemy. Why? Because you're gonna let me work in your life first. And when I work in you, I will begin to work through you. So wellness, if you're gonna get onto that, let's get it from Him. The author and the completer and the supplier of our well-being. You've gotta to learn to go to God. And that means go to His Word and let it marinate in your soul 
and let it come out everywhere possible in Jesus' name. But the question today is, do I want to be well? And I really believe it's a great question, but it's not sensitive, it's not insensitive, and I don't believe it's shallow. I believe it's an entry point for God to be God in our lives.